Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. guys intro <laughs> yeah yeah no, um, i know um i people want to see the intro video you can go to my instagram at lucretia lyon since there is only one that's l-a-c-r-e-t-i-a-l-y-o-n um so much fun to always do that and say that but this isn't about me even though it's my podcast but i have a buddy here mr ian russo who is quarantined again <laughs> yep how are you doing? Well, I'm good um, because um, I don't have COVID, but as we've, we've both been vaccinated, but you managed to contract it. Um, but you were saying at least you've been doing well. <laughs> that, that's always the good news. Yes, yeah, symptom yeah. free for a week. Yeah, and, and that's all you can hope for is to be symptom free. I mean, it is what it is, and, you know, you're decent enough to quarantine as some might, might not. Yeah, yeah, I got I got tested strictly like as like an abundance of precautions. I didn't think I had it, and then I uh, and then like the next day I was feeling fine. I, I was on a show that night uh, in somebody's backyard, and like I then and uh, afterwards we went to a bar, and then the next day I got my results, and I was just like, oh fuck. <laughs> Dude, my my I was at this bar, and it was one of those situations. It was like packed to the gills. Like it was the kind of place where it took 10 minutes to order a drink. And and like my anxiety flared because I thought like, what are the chances somebody here has it? And it's funny because like your anxiety is probably already up because that situation just sounds horrible. Even pre COVID um, being in a bar surrounded by all those people taking 10 minutes to get a drink. It's like, it's like take forever and then all the people but yeah to just think about it now and what what how how we view situations differently now me i always preferred people to stay six feet so so not that much uh change for me (laughs) but um as you brought up you were at a show and how we know each other is we're comedians uh we we Mm -hmm. met on the circuit as they say so so what's it yeah yeah, I like the grind much better. I think that that really sort of sets the tone for, for what it really is. Yeah. But but yeah, so so how how have you been doing with the fact that, that there was very little comedy going on, even though, I mean, there, there were so many different ways of doing it, but just the world itself sort of changed and comedy was one of the major things hit. Well, early on, I was I was like very early on, I was doing like some of the Zoom stuff, and it, it's never was the same to me. I, I think you need an audience to connect yeah. to and read off of in order for comedy to take form. Otherwise, like it's it's just not the same. And then uh, May second of last year, somebody started hosting a secret mic, and I've been back ever since. I was, uh, I was briefly hosting mics in my apartments, going to mics in other people's apartments, like stuff, like stuff that I probably shouldn't have done, but took this long to get it. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting is that you were around people and you were doing that for the better part of the year. And then you get COVID like the, when LA finally opens, it's, it's sort of strange. But again, by that point, we were all vaccinated, and it, it is what it is. But it is odd that came about. Yeah. About about it took about two weeks after getting vaccinated before, like I dropped most of the precautions that I was doing. Like uh, before before getting COVID, I I think I've worn like a mask twice between then and when LA reopened. So what was that like uh, about a month? And it was it was just like. Uh, 
hand sanitizer, like uh, like last year I had hand sanitizer at me on me at all times, wearing masks everywhere. I have I have like a hook that I uh, that I was opening doors with, like uh, much like that of Showtime at the Apollo. <laughs> yes, because uh, I was like, oh, that hook, the long hook, uh, yeah. where you're pulling people off stage, and, and you know, to go back to the whole audience of it all, that's really what was the key missing piece to a lot of the the options for comedy. But that's why it's great. So many people went outdoors, like yourself, hosting an yeah, outdoor we- comedy show, because because you can do the precautions without taking away what makes it that. I was, I was helping produce a show in Pan Pacific Park for about six months, and it was uh, it it was a fix. I don't know. Like I I also like uh, I also believe that comedy is meant for like intimate spaces. Like uh, oh yeah, like like a like a club or a bar with like a low ceiling something. But like it, it was it was definitely like uh, it it was what it was. Like it, like this could have. Uh, like like yeah like it, like it could have been worse like god can you imagine how bad this situation would have been if like the outdoor transmission rate was like as bad yeah and that's sort of the thing is uh, it was so nice to see people figure out ways of of staying you know out there and being funny when when everybody needed it when they were stuck in and nobody really knew what was going on and but it's great that hopefully soon um because as we know la just uh, redid their mask mandates and who knows what else is left to come but for now we can kind of go back into the intimate setting and that really is what comedy is about and You know, it, it. I feel like like this is another renaissance for for comedy because there's so many people seeking it out now because we've all yeah. been through this shit together in a way, and it's just an intimate time. I I, I do think that there's a uh, going to be like a surge of not surge. I don't think that was the best choice of words, but there's going to be a rise of like a lot of comedians who are finally going to get their opportunities because. Uh, a lot of like the heavy hitters ended up moving to Austin. The fact that Joe Rogan is there now and the Kill Tony people, like that's just gonna like open up a lot of stage time at the store and just like like a lot of uh, just like like like, like it, it's gonna open up a lot of like showcasing opportunities for Emily, their new Booker, and yeah, we'll see what happens. Gonna be, gonna yeah, be it- a lot of yeah. I was just going to say, like, the comedy world kind of moving just out of New York and L.A. because New York and L.A. were hit the hardest. And you saw so many people move to Austin or back to, you know, even where they came from and just sort of get different opportunities and realize that, you know, it doesn't have to be New York and L.A. But now there's opportunities for people there that that weren't before because every. We, we get complacent and you know, when Joe Rogan sells out, like of course they're going to book, yeah. keep booking him and everything like that. But now that that's not necessarily a possibility to have people like that as a regular, that opens the door. And I do tend to always think of the bright side, even though this isn't that podcast, it, yeah, but yeah. I do feel like, like this is good for comedy, what we're kind of coming out of. And as much as it was the destruction of a uh, small business in a lot of ways with certain things, Comedy is a small business. You are your own boss. You are yeah. the business. And this is only something that can be helped by, I mean, because, you know, comedy equals tragedy plus time. So yeah. um, if anything good comes out of this, this will definitely be one of it. Yeah. I, I, I do think this has also been a time for a lot of people to reinvent themselves in many ways, whether it be through podcasting. My, I myself, for the first part of the quarantine, I had a cooking show in my kitchen that, like, in a, in a lot of ways, introduced me to editing and ju- just, like, some basic filmmaking stuff that I was never doing beforehand. 
Yeah, I mean, I did the first Comic Con for soap operas all online um, wow. and learned how to build a website, um, do an internal store, and, and this is how I learned to form a business. Now I'm forming my own production company, all because of I got bored during quarantine. I taught myself how to animate. I mean, you know, my brother, uh, my half brother did the music for the intro video of this, but I, you know, created that video and and learned, I've always been able to sort of sound edit ever since I got into podcasting on myself, yeah. but it's just improving that muscle and learning new things like like yeah. animation to go along with it and, and just sticking with it. Because one of the things you could do was podcasting and thank God, like, <laughs> but. Yeah, like even like outside of quarantine, as long as you're alive, the learning process never st never stops. You should always be p taking up new skills, and I, I just think like uh, how, like particularly with last year, everybody having an infinite amount of free time on their hands. I guess I like for a lot of people that pushed them into doing cool things. Yeah, and, and that's just the thing is like so you did a cooking show. What mm -hmm. else did you do while you were in uh, quarantine of this last year? Like. Um, because I know I saw you doing quite a few things. Yeah, I was I was, do I was doing the cooking show, producing a little bit of live com oh like uh, producing a little bit of live comedy. I uh, I was doing a video podcast for a bit that I'd like to uh, after I move out like I'd like to transfer that more in person and like uh, change the name, give it a whole rebranding, and yeah, I thought like it's it just. That, that, that's something that I really enjoy doing. I like talking to people. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I've been podcasting for the better part of six, seven years, starting over at After Buzz TV and then venturing out on my own and now with Believe. And it, it that's all it is, is talking to people. And it amazes me how many people are kind of scared. It's like, no, if you can have a conversation, you can have a podcast. Just have a point of view. Just listen. I mean, how much of podcasting is sitting here listening to the other person? Because that's part of the communication. And then when you're really listening, you know what questions to ask. Like, And, and it yeah. is something that we could continue to do even. Uh, but like you say, I want to get back to in-person as well, because I always felt like it was a much more intimate setting when it was just the one-on-one -on -one or however in, in your apartment as most of us record. Um, yeah. Or even in studio, it, it is a little bit of of a different connection nice substitute while we had to do it yeah like did you uh are you are you a are you a big larry king fan or were yes. you i guess yeah i was a big larry yeah. king fan yeah he was talking about once how he came into these interviews with some of the most powerful people in the world household names and he would just come in there not even with questions but with the desire to listen and i, I think if you're passionate about what you're talking about or who you're talking with. Yeah, listening is such a an important element to not even just podcasting, but just the art of conversation. Yeah, I mean, and I get a lot of my interview style from watching people like like Larry King. And I would say somebody that's currently on the circuit that that really fascinates me is like Stephen Colbert and Adam Carolla. I think yeah. they all have different interview styles, but it's, yeah. it's where I took the the learning from, as well as uh, a Leo Quinones. Shout out to become a host uh, teacher, Leo Quinones, over at Marky Costello's place. But yeah, it, it was just one of those things that you don't. I would see so many of my friends that would do interviews, and they would just be really focused on getting all the research and learning everything about them. So I'm like, but then what's the point of the interview? If you've done all this research and you know everything about them to have like these then pre-planned questions, but yeah, then what's the point? Like I want to talk to them and see what, what they want to talk about and what they're doing. I mean, you may have a vague understanding of what they're promoting as you know, most people are doing interviews to promote something, but you know, when it comes to like a podcast, a lot of it, I would do a tiny little pre-interview to get the point out of why they were coming to Mrs. Brightside and what were we going to talk about? Like, and, and most people like you just open it up just a little bit and then they give you everything else you need. And it's okay. really, it really makes it a lot easier and a lot more intimate and not just the cookie cutter interview style that you see so often. Yeah.
God, I the the, uh, the last virtual podcast I did was with uh, I, I don't know if you know Ken Gar, but he Sounds like familiar, uh, yeah. Okay, like yeah, I guess his big claim to fame, like on, on the comedy scene, he used to host lab work and yeah, he, he's doing well. Like he, he he travels the world doing comedy, but he uh, it was a very fascinating conversation because he was just he was very comfortable opening up about stuff and like it was. So it's so, so, like just fascinating stuff that I had no idea about the guy, and it was just, it was just uh, I, enjoy, I enjoyed listening, and I yeah, it was a good episode. Yeah, and, and that's just where I'll say that I really like that, and I feel like podcasting, you know, not to toot our own horn um, in this very meta moment here, um, <laughs> is that it really has opened people up to the more truthful, long form interviews as a, you yeah. know, nobody, and that's why, like, you know, unfortunately, like, like red carpets and stuff. I mean, or I guess fortunately, because I feel like most people hated them on either side. I know as a reporter in, in as being on one side, so, yeah, on the other yeah. hand, it was not fun for anybody, but it's stuff like that that's sort of going away. And while we still have like things like, you know, late night talk shows or like yeah. the daytime, we are getting into more of a like, look, you know, James Gordon, he does the carpool karaoke. It's fun. Like we get what we're doing. This isn't supposed to be an interview anyway, or like Jimmy Fallon with his games. Like there is a different set. And I think we're kind of tired of that cookie cutter. Like, what are you wearing? Like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, what, you know, sort of style of interview. Yeah. And I think podcasting has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Even uh, a guy like, 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 like this, this is going to sound silly, but, a guy like Mark Marin, who like WTF, yeah. like one of the first podcasts that I got into, he changed my standards for for how I want for how I expect to digest my journalism. Because it, 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 like I like I find uh, like particularly like, I, like it was a great discussion him and Obama. Oh yeah, like, just like stuff like that. Like I like I think that's how our public servants should be talk to like it's not it's not stage it's not like this theater thing it's just an honest like you just sort of get that oh the person that uh the leader of the free world actually has human traits <laughs> yeah and like and it doesn't matter whether you like them or not because i could think on the, or you know agree with them or not because thinking about jeb bush and stephen colbert's interview and how stephen colbert used to interview a lot of people that you may disagree with politically on his yeah. other show that was when he would break character would be more in the interviews and it was just yeah. interesting to see it's like no th this person is a person and for most people it's a lot easier to see barack obama that way but as opposed to somebody they might disagree with like jeb bush but that's what makes Mark Marin and Steven is such gifted interviewers is like, yeah. you know, we're trying to let you see we're all human. And, you know, these people, you probably have a lot in common with them, even if you don't agree on some things. And, and oh, it's yeah. a perfect way to humanize. Who is, uh, God, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, not Ron Paul, Paul Ryan. His mm -hmm. one of his favorite bands is Rage Against the Machine, which <laughs> is funny in a lot of ways, but it's like, yeah, he, he goes home and listens to the Battle of Los Angeles. And despite the fact that he is everything that band hates. <laughs> I know. It, it is interesting sometimes where you're like, hmm. But eventually, like, I don't know. Most people don't want to believe this. Everyone becomes the man to a degree um, for the most part. So Paul Ryan was probably a punk rocker in high school like I was. Like, that's why he likes Rage Against the Machine. And, and uh, you know, on both sides, like, and I don't want to be on that both sides, you know, article, because it's not even a political thing. It yeah. is just a matter of, like, most people lack self-awareness. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and, and that's really what you realize, because I've met people that, I mean, boy, like, what they what they hate so much or what they're fighting against is so much themselves. I mean, you look at a lot of, like, the Trump derangement syndrome folks, it's like, you're a lot more like him than than <laughs> than you really realize. Oh yeah, I think in, there are times where we don't realize it, but yes, we are all we all have the capacity to be complete sociopaths to one another. Oh <laughs> yeah, and as we've seen on these airplanes lately, um, 
it's just really gotten out of hand because so many people weren't around each other. I mean, as much as I am always a, you know, good up by myself, sort of loner type of person, like I miss people, but I noticed with a lot of people, they miss people too, but they needed that interaction a lot more because they're very confused now that they're out in the wild together. As we've seen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I also think like like the pandemic. There's a uh, a mental health. I get oh, like, yeah. like I think like twindemic if, that, if that's the right term. That's like coinciding. Like I, I think it's going to be years before everybody kind of like gets the treatment that they need, or we just, or our anxiety just cools down because we did. God, it's just we're almost a year and a half into this. We went through something incredibly traumatic. Yeah, as a, a whole, like not just this nation, not just your 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 hometown. It is. It was everywhere. It was a global pandemic. Everywhere was shut down to a degree for for months. Or and again, the the mass, the schools. I mean, there was so much involved that is traumatic, especially to young people and and children. Yeah. And, it, you know, we we have no idea the consequences of the mental health. I mean, certainly because we're just now coming out of it. Many people sort of weather the storm and then that's when they, you know, shut down. So so it'll be curious to see where those numbers go, because I know suicide was sort of, uh, you know, not to get in too deep, dark yeah. subjects, but suicide was pretty stagnant um, in 2020. Yeah. But as we saw, drug addiction and uh, drug-related deaths and, and other addictions like like alcohol, they were up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Uh, when, th when things reopened, my drinking got way worse. <laughs> I'm on a little sabbatical from that right now, but, like, I'm on a little sabbatical from drinking. But it was to the point where, like, I don't know. Like, I, I always had it in the back of my mind that when things reopened, like, it would be a cause for celebration that holy shit, like I could do stuff again when really in, in all actuality, like I just, it kind of like there was a part of me that was, that felt that I couldn't use the pandemic anymore as a shortcoming for my lack of successes or for the heartache or just like for whatever, whatever is like eating at me, like, like what, for all my shortcomings, like if, if that's on me. Yeah. And I'm so glad you were able to come to that conclusion as yeah. most of us. I mean, cause I know like that you're speaking to the choir, man. That's exactly how I feel. It's like, well, I got to get out of my mom's house. Now that the pandemic is over, I got to get back to life. I got to get back to um, doing stuff and functioning yeah. as a human being. And we can't blame this anymore. But, yeah. you know, the beauty is we internalized it um, because because it is us. It is it, we are responsible for ourselves. Yes, the government may have mandated these shutdowns. and There may be less jobs and this and that. Yeah. But ultimately, you are your own steward. You are the one that has to get out there. You are the ones who are the ball lickers. Sorry, yeah. uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back. I just yeah. I was getting way too into it. Never reminded me of that. <laughs> but um, pivoting a little bit, because uh, I mentioned something that, that amused me and I've seen like hundreds of times, pop culture, and since this is a pop psychology podcast, we got to get into it, s sort of was a saving grace during yeah. this time. And that's why, you know, luckily as comedians, we understand, you know, what this is. I mean, because we probably come from a place of, we love the medium and we love different mediums as we talked about with rage against the machine. And there was just so much to absorb that you may have missed because we were out living lives. And yes, while production was shut down, I did see certain things like the soap operas finally get come back to being front and center for starting up. So how did, what did you really watch or listen to during the pandemic? Most of all. And the, at the very, very beginning, one of like the first standout things that I, uh, I, I re, I like, I binged all like when we were in quarantine. This is March of last year. I rewatched all of How I Met Your Mother. Oh, I love I, that show. That's one of my favorites. That's why the Mrs. Brightside <laughs> logo was the yellow umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that show, like, no, it's, it's a very optimistic show. Yeah. It's like. 
I guess kind of like a reoccurring theme throughout the series is that everything happens for a reason. And I don't know, like, like psychologically, I guess that's sort of, I guess what I needed at the time, even though I argue that I watched the show way too quickly because mm-hmm. it took two weeks for me to finish. I did. If I knew this was oh, going wow. on, Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy because it's like eight seasons too, like and pretty long ones. Even though they are short, yeah. Oh yeah, because I'm like, yeah, this is one of my favorite shows. But I was like, I watched it in real time the first time, but I've I've watched all the way through for like so many times. Although I'm that type of person where it's like I don't like to watch the last episode because then it's over. Like, but I and in the when I originally was watching it in real time, I was very upset because I was a big Barney and Robin fan. Um, Because, yeah, yeah, when Barney proposes to Robin with the page out of the playbook and all that, I cry every time. Like, and I'm not a crier. Uh, Like, I come from a long line of feelingsless women. Um, So it's like, no, that, but that gets me every time. (laughs) I cry whenever Barney, in the episode where Barney tries to steal the basketball hoop from his dad. That, that, That was sad. I, th- I think that was like the moment I realized, oh shit, fucking Neil Patrick Harris is a really good actor. Oh yeah, like you know him and Wentworth Miller. That's why sometimes I wish I was a dude. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because and that's to me Barney was my favorite character. But I did sort of like like I, the more you watch it, I don't know how many times how many times have you seen it all the way through? I uh, this this would be my this this was my second time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's because yeah. there's things you notice the more and more you watch the episodes because they were so good at putting little Easter eggs. And and like you say, the, the whole premise of the show yeah. was sort of an, this optimistic view of like everything happens for a reason. Like yeah. Ted's journey, even though Ted's probably most of your least favorite characters, because as I say, I'm a Barney girl and I really like everybody. But, but Ted oh, is likable to a degree. Yeah, Marshall's so yeah. sweet. Yeah. There's a yeah. I got into that show because back in like 2012, I was uh, I was dating a girl. I was briefly dating a girl from OK Cupid, and on our first date, I talked about how like I, I'm a big burger guy. I like to. I'm always trying to look for the best burger in New York. <laughs> yeah. She was like, "Have you ever watched the show?" And it was, yeah. Yeah, the and the best burger in New York is one of my favorite episodes because speaking of another uh interviewer, uh Regis Philbin. What like I love when Regis goes full crazy Regis. Regis <laughs> yeah. the mailbox. Ah, onions. <laughs> but yeah, no, like but- that, that show is so good. And, and that that would be a good pandemic show. It's funny, we probably picked the worst choice in uh me and my mom is She'd never seen Supernatural all the way through. And I was like, well, there's only going to be one time you're going to be able to watch 15 fucking seasons of, you know, mostly 22 to 24 um, episodes. Like long seasons. But yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing. And it's interesting because one of my favorite character actors, James Patrick Stewart, is a villain in season seven. And um, he's a Leviathan. Um, and Supernatural, for those of you who don't know, it's just about two hot brothers in a cool, kick-ass classic car, a 67 Impala. And they drive around uh, solving, like, supernatural mysteries and saving the day, like, many, many times. I mean, it's 15 season, guys. The world ends, like, a few times. But that was why it's like, oh, yeah, because even... All the way back then in season seven, it was like, you know, Joe Biden's a Leviathan, Guy Fieri. So it was interesting the people that were being talked about and in 15 was 2020. So we're thinking about like, it's like seven or eight years prior to this sort of people that were brought up in this year as far as, you know, being in tangential in the pandemic, like Joe Biden, like Guy Fieri, who was saving all these restaurants. So it was funny to see things like that, as well as um, in one of the many world endings, like just the the season before, like uh, the character who eventually, spoiler alert, is uh, God, is the one telling them, toilet paper, man, the end of the world, get all the toilet paper. And you're like, holy shit. Like, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this weird show. And not in like the happy way, like how I met your mother. <laughs> yeah. 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 
the, the other show that I uh, I watched for the first time, uh, Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, I see. I've never seen that, but that's something I need to watch. Yeah, it, it's a I very, love my judge. Yeah, it's a very very smart show, and like based on when it ended, which I think it's like I think right. It ended, I think, a couple, maybe a year before. What was what was that uh, document? The social dilemma. No, oh, yeah, before yeah, the social, ended. yeah, yeah. I, I think like Silicon Valley. Like, I don't want to spoil or anything, but it does lead into a lot. Like, it addresses a lot of like privacy concerns and like the sale of your data. Like, it's, it's like Mike Mike Judge, who already I, I think is an absolute genius for idiocracy. Oh, yeah. I don't think I, I think like he's I think he's one of the best comedy writers in Hollywood. Oh yeah, and he's just such an unassuming guy. I mean, maybe it's coming from Texas. It's funny, like because Arlen in King of the Hill is Garland, where um, my family lived for quite some time. My brother went to high school there. And, you know, so of course, Mike Judge is special to us in a lot of ways. I mean, Office Space is my favorite movie. But yeah, like, and to see his career grow from like Beavis and Butthead, which we were watching way too young, but we're obsessed. And then into King of the Hill and now into bigger productions like Idiocracy and into Silicon Valley. I'm just so glad that he's still out there making stuff because, yeah, I mean, that's something that I could enjoy anytime. I mean, and it's it's a shame that I haven't seen Silicon Valley, but that shows just how much good shit is out there. Yeah. Like, it's just, uh, like, Silicon Valley, it was, it, it was just, I, I don't think the last season, like, gets the credit where it's due, particularly right now because I feel like the conversation about uh, – about social media and big tech. Like there's like, it's a very weird conversation to have for politicians just because there's so much money in it. Um, Yeah. And and that's, what's interesting is like, you know, Andrew Yang wanted to, you know, propose the idea of using that money that they're already, you know, getting and sort of putting a price on that. And it's interesting to see that, that with all the universal income talk of, you know, last year that we haven't brought that up considering, I mean, so many people are suffering and that is a great way to do it is all the big tech companies, uh, you know, they, they got to pay for that information now and put it back out into you. Oh yeah. Did you, um, I, I don't know if it's like this in Texas, when you go on a website, do you get notifications like asking like, Telling you that we are sell, we use third party cookies. We're selling your data. Yeah. You have option to opt out. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was just a California thing, but it's just, it's just affected. It's it's affected the quality of the internet and how we consume our news. Yeah, like you know, and that's the sort of stuff. Like super, it's interesting to me to see a lot of the the pandemic and sort of responses like this when it comes to like the internet and privacy sort of be sort of uh, foreshadowed in a lot of TV and film. And it it bothers me sometimes that people don't see that. And it's like, guys, you know, I'm not like crazy in that I think like, oh yeah, like they're out to get me. No, I'm not that narcissistic. But there is an interesting parallel with a lot of stuff that we've seen in pop culture that is coming true now. And it bothers me that people don't see that, too. It's like, you know, I'm not saying life is a TV show. I'm saying, hey, you know, these had consequences on here. We should be able to apply some of this in real life. And why are we not seeing that, that, you know, that this is bad? I mean, that, you know, them censoring certain things and again as comics we understand that there's a lot of talk about this some some of it is very valid like yeah we shouldn't be able to only see what's in our algorithm unless we so choose but i've done experiments by having fake social media accounts and it's like oh no you will get pushed what you try to put out there without you necessarily knowing it oh yeah that's the big problem is that uh like Facebook and Twitter, they do have the power to adjust the algorithm in their best interests. Like, who's to say that this conversation isn't being had because they have some guy who's just updating the code just a little bit to make sure that the conversation is kept to a minimum. I, I, I do think, though, like the social dilemma was very important. I think a lot of people are more aware that 
oh, this is not a free service. They're using our information to, so they're, they're using our information to monetize their ad space. Well, yeah. And to a degree, like the, it's sort of just like anything, like on the surface to get, see what you are buying and what you're talking about, what you're listening to has been going around for years. It just wasn't quite as immediate and obtrusive and people were certainly less aware of it. But I mean, you even think about the, the Josie and the Pussycats movie, how like, how, oh yes. Cause I was like, most people have seen it. It's like, no, it's a legit good movie. And it's all about the subliminal messaging and it was like an interesting allegory to see what's going on now, because like even uh, my brother and I will joke about, yeah, when you're getting stuff for like rehab, uh, depression medication, you know, you're not doing so well. So in a way, sometimes the targeted stuff might be a good thing, but at the same time, where does, where did they draw the line? And, yeah. you know, or, and it's interesting to me to see how subliminal messaging and like advertising has always kind of been hand in hand, but we're just so ingrained with our phones now. It's a little bit of a different ball game. And just like anything yeah. else, it's not really caught up because we've had so many things so fast, like really progress. It's not like from the, the automobile, um, and how slow it was to get the roads and everything and, and progress as we went on. And now we live in a time where we are expected to have a smartphone. If I, if I did not have a smartphone, if I just had, a, uh, like I'm like I'm trying to think, if I, if I just had a landline phone, like who's like we're expected to have cell phones, like like I would not be able to get a COVID test, which I think is absolutely ludicrous. Like I know with older generations, I used to work at a COVID testing site, and some people didn't have cell phones or email. And that was all oh, that yeah. was, we would have to like, uh, like uh, ask for like a relative's number. Yeah, especially out in L.A. It's interesting to me sometimes when I see the conversations that uh, a lot of times politicians will have where it's like talking about people in rural areas. And I'm like, that could be true as uh, where I'm at. Like, it's not far off. And I have family members who live in those things. But they're actually they were actually way more apt to have Internet, cell phones, uh updated technology than when I was doing a lot of like brand ambassador work in LA, like certain communities just weren't interested in that, like more than anything. It's like, they don't have an email. They don't use email. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but my grandparents, yeah. like they have Instagram, they know how to do that. Um, but again, I mean, they're in Fort Worth. So mm -hmm. it, it really is interesting to me to see how like, LA and probably a lot of other big cities probably have a lot more people who aren't utilizing stuff than, than the view that is people in rural areas. Now I know someone without internet, but she's a crazy bitch. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Well, like, let me ask you something. Do you ever feel like, 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 fa like Facebook has eaten, like taken away from like certain parts of your adulthood? Like in the sense, like I, I, I sometimes wonder what my friend circle would be like, or how would I be doing dating without being on Facebook all the time? And like dating, that's a whole other thing because their algorithms are like absolutely, they are getting worse. Yeah, it's so weird to me. Like, I guess I'm a little old fashioned. Yeah. I've never liked the idea of the online dating like and to me because I guess because I'm a big how I met your mother fan and yeah. I, I sort of think like like Ted in a way uh, or maybe it's naive but I don't like that because it's like no I'm so much more than one little page and for somebody who was actually pretty defensive of social media like myself because I'm like no you have to think yeah. of social media for the good things of, of meeting people you wouldn't meet otherwise and then you then if you like these people you can meet them in person I've done that several times I mean well, but it you know and it's like great you have things in common that's how you meet in social media it's a great way to stay in touch especially during COVID and it's free advertising and because I'm not against advertising as a whole like no this is opening up all these opportunities for people but at the same time like you're right so many people have used this for other stuff like 
you know, dating and sort of a supplement to getting out there in the world world. And that is a negative thing. And yeah. it's, anything is about balance. Like, I think it's great that we have the social media, but we do have to figure out a way how to interact with one another without our phones too. Yeah, that's because I, I do find like something I find that I do as like an anxiety coping mechanism, I'll be at a party and be on my phone. There's no reason to do that. I should just have fun. I don't know, like grab a beer or something and just kick it with friends. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's good to have your phone, especially like, you know, I'm somebody who likes to go out to eat, even if I'm by myself. And that's a situation where you really don't want to be bothered and deal with that. People. Yeah. Well, so yeah, it's great to listen to them, you know, have your phone there or certainly like when you're waiting in line, there, there are times where it's like interaction was always awkward, but it can be a great thing kind of as much as I do that too. Like I should probably not be on my phone as much in public. Yeah. Because again, like if we think like Ted, that may be when you meet the mother. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah who knows? I know. I, I, you know, use the phone not so much at parties because uh, I do try to. Like that's one of those situations where I mean, because usually drugs and alcohol are involved. Uh, marijuana yeah. guys, uh, not other kinds, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it makes it a little easier, but that phone is a crutch and, and I'm guilty of it as well. And yeah. it is nice to always have that friend right there, but, but sometimes friends are out here. Yeah. It's just it's something, uh, I, I think there's something said like in the importance of being present. And I think yeah. that's ultimately what, what I want, uh, the kind of person I want to grow into, particularly like years from now when COVID is hopefully just this weird memory that we're just going to be telling our like future generations about. Like I, like I, like I, like I, I want to be a present person. I, I just, I want to be in the moment. I want to experience life. Just every, everything, every am amazing thing about it. Yeah. And, and that's hopefully <laughs> what, Oh yeah, that's hopefully what we take from uh, this COVID and this quarantine we've had to experience for the better part of a year is that, okay, it's great to have these things like like your phone and um, like like Zoom and Twitter and, and all of this stuff that we could, if we're not around each other, use to, to keep in touch because that's one of the positive sides of Facebook. I wouldn't know what people I went to high school were doing with their life if it wasn't for Facebook. Because frankly, I probably wouldn't care. And I still don't really anyway. But it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember that time. Oh, cool. Like Two those little ago. moments like that. Like it, yeah. it's interesting to me that, that we do have all this information. And we do have to find a way to use it positively. But like you got to be present. And uh, people sort of being cooped up may sort of give a, a, at least for me it's like no i want to get back out i want to be doing karaoke at barney's beaneries again Ooh. like i want to yeah i don't think people change for shit <laughs> fucking uh, look how quickly everybody stopped wearing masks everybody stopped washing <laughs> their hands like it is uh or i i don't i don't know if like i don't know what precautions people were taking in texas but <laughs> Fucking I mean, no. they had the like the mask. It was funny. It was really just shut down for like two months, and then it was just like, no. I mean, just wear a mask, like, and that was it. Like, yeah. but, it's, it's like in, uh, but like here, like everybody stopped wearing masks immediately. Like people who were avidly against doing comedy during the <laughs> pandemic were back out there. Like, no, like nothing ever happened. I think people's personalities overall. I think it depends. I think a lot of us grew in like uh, ways we don't like to admit. Like I, I, again, we went through something traumatic. Yeah, I mean, and like I say, I guess it's the Mrs. Bright side in me is like, I do hope the majority of people took something good out of it and learned, yeah. like, hey, learned some new stuff. But you know, we we've got to get back to life. Um, we'll never get back to where we were, but was where we were that great? Um, we, we did sort of need to take a step back and some assessment. And unfortunately we look at the people flying and going nuts these days. Like, you know, obviously some people did not handle it well and are not handling going back in civilization, but we can only hope that those outliers are not the majority. 
Yeah. So uh, I, I just like I, I just want to be in a position like not that I was living in fear and no, nor am I. I nor am I living in fear right now. Like it's just, but like it's like that. That's not where I want. I don't want. I never want to be where again where we were in April of last year because that was just, that was ludicrous. Oh yeah, I mean every it was even shut. That was one of the months it was shut down here. I mean everywhere was shut down. It was like, crazy. Yeah, it, under no circumstances should it take what was it, 20 minutes to get from North Hollywood down to San Pedro? Ever. No. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa. God, even, even the first day that I uh, that I did comedy during the pandemic, May 2nd, 2020, there were electric signs over the freeway that just said straight up, stay home, stop the spread. And like, uh, that's just wild. Like hopefully, like I don't think it's gonna get to that again. But like, uh, yeah, my optimism's been shot a couple times over the past year and a half. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, me too. Because it's just like, all right, we're almost there. It's gonna be fine. Like we're gonna get out. I mean, and we're, you know, some places are really trying to get back to business as usual and sort of have been. But unfortunately, with LA, as we say, the indoor mask mandate was just um, put back on. So yeah. I wouldn't consider it over. Like, I feel like, yeah. like we're still sort of in it, but what are you looking most forward to when, when it, we're officially done with this crap? Like, like it's not on the news they're not scaring us every day. Um, God, I, 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 like, I wish that day would come sooner. Like I'd love to start showcasing for the clubs and I'd, I'd like to get out of LA, do comedy. Like, well, like my, short-term career goal i would make i would like to make a couple hundred dollars a weekend doing comedy in smaller markets yeah and, and that's come back here during the week do my day job and work out whatever material i need to work out at night yeah and that's the beauty of it is i feel like we really do need to think more about the smaller markets because as much as like la and new york were shut down shut down like it's the smaller markets that are most likely going to be hit the hardest and they probably need it the most, uh, these comedy. And, and it was yeah. nice to see like, you know, certainly, um, a, a lot of comedians are already out there doing it and sort of have been like, like I know Adam Carolla has been everywhere, even up into like Alaska, but it's going into places like you, you'd never expected doing comedy and, and just getting out there and making people smile and laugh again. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, beyond laughter not even just laughter to be able to think to have a connection to be able to speak your truth and say something real say something authentic i i think there's something very major in that like i'm not holding being a stand-up comedian on that high of a pedestal but there's there's still something very important in this time where i guess i guess like I don't, I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way. Like uh, growing up, like you were sort of encouraged to challenge consensus, to try to form a point of view that challenges the norm. Whereas I think right now that's a little bit more difficult, particularly with the advent of social media and that everybody's watching. Oh yeah, I mean, as I've mentioned before, like in just a second ago, like Adam Carolla is my hero. Like people yeah. like him were always my hero growing up, and. One of the good things about my dad is like he did always kind of raise us and my mom too was even like you know you gotta question people like be nobody gives a shit about your opinion but you need to form your own opinion and yeah. it was sort of that that you know that balance of even because this is you know give my parents a lot of credit or whatever but it's like no we were always told like you need to question don't go with the the uh, the norm don't go with the crowd because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's the, the movers and shakers, the people that question things that get shit done. And you know, that, that always stuck with me. I mean, I grew up, you know, we would listen to Carlin in the car on the way to Dallas, like, and you know, that's what stand up was and still is for a lot of people like your Chappelle's yeah. and your Chris Rock. I mean, you have a lot of people, but there it was sort of a dark time for comedy in a lot of ways. Cause like you say, with this advent of social media and the immediate response, so many people like 
didn't develop their own point of view. They just went with the, you know, the standard and, you know, like, okay, we're going to, we're going to be this, this week, and this is what we're going to do. And this is all comedy. And it's like, no, I mean, even if you're doing a character and it's not even something you believe in, but as long as it's questioning and pushing people to some sort of other conclusion than, than just as what they're pushed out, um, then, then that's what you do. And, and it's defining your point of view. You don't need to be just like anybody else. I mean, even the people you look up to, I mean, obviously I'm nothing like Adam Carolla in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I mean, we're like simpatico and others. And it, it's just interesting to me to see how this will emerge for the people like that. And I'm seeing a lot more um, come out these days when I wasn't. And it was unfortunate that, you know, used to comedians would question politics no matter who it was. And yeah. they would, and, and I feel like as much as I like hate a lot of political humor and kind of always have to a degree, because I felt like it was lazy. It was even lazier when it was like, okay, everybody's on the same page. Like, this is boring. Like, I mean, even if I don't agree, write a good joke. Don't just write the same joke um, yeah. told from different mouths. Oh God, I I miss, uh, there was a time back in like the 2000s when I was just like a young kid. I, I used to love, love, love watching The Daily Show every night. Oh yeah, me too. Uh, it's like and the Colbert Report would have been like right around yeah like that that block was perfect yeah yeah it was it was just like uh, and it was it's just like there there became a point like I think around the 2016 election where it was just I I couldn't digest political humor anymore just because it made me angry it made me sad and uh, it, it, I don't know it's just such a weird there's also even a show like South Park, which I thought was very good at challenging like different perspectives, including their own. Yeah. And that's one thing I love about South Park um, that I feel like they've always had integrity to a degree to like nothing's off limits. They don't even care. Like, and, and that to me, that that's great. It, and it's good to have stuff like that because I'm a big fan of Seth MacFarlane and a lot of what he's done, but it was sort of like when American Dad stepped away from the, you know, the obviously political premise and just more went into the crazy characters of Roger. And you're like, yeah, this is, this is what we need. This is a cartoon. Just, yeah. I mean, it's great to make fun of everything. But yeah, like, and I thought that Family Guy had a lot of integrity in the fact that they really were like, okay, look, we'll do one trip yeah. episode and and then that's it. Like, it's interesting to me to see, like, that's the reason adult animation has done well. I mean, you look at the success of Rick and Morty and a lot of those, like, sort of more escapism shows because people get tired of that crap. I mean, and if that's all there is out there, it's really boring. Oh, yeah. It's like... uh yeah, God, particularly a guy like Seth MacFarlane's like, uh, is he a stand-up comedian? Absolutely not. But I, I do think in a lot of ways, like, when the dust settles on this generation, I think he's going to be looked at as one of the most important voices in comedy. Yeah, and that's sort of the thing is comedy is so much more than stand-up because, like, while I dabble uh, here or there, that's not really my forte either, but I understand that because it's like while I have a defined point of view, I think, you know, certainly more than, than a lot of people in my same bracket um, as far as comedy goes, it's – there are so many different avenues, like sketch and animation and everything – and yeah. then people tend to box it all into like, oh, but like they think it's all stand up. It's like, no, comedy is this all encompassing thing. I mean, you look at, you know, what a great show SNL was throughout the 80s and the 90s and, and sadly what it is today. But yeah, yeah it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, burn. Yeah, it's I... not just because I never get in. But <laughs> but it is what it is where it's like, no, it's so much more than the stand up. And the stand up is great when it's supplemental. And it's great when you're that good, um, like like so many are. But it's so nice to be able to have all these other avenues that people often forget about for comedy. It's like, no, there's sketch, there's improv, there's animation. I mean, and, and as we talk about How I Met Your Mother, that's comedy. Like, Oh, yeah, I think, uh, I, I, I think one of the most important elements of being a good anything in, in show business is 
the is your capacity to tell a good story. And I, I, I think storytelling, there's so many mediums for that. Yeah, because that's essentially it. It's telling a story and, you know, just in a humorous way. Oh, yeah. Like, like I, uh, there, there's something, like, there's something, there, there's something to be said, like, in the, like, because, like, everything that television does, like, I, I, I don't know how it's, this paradigm is sort of, like, shifting with, uh, the advent of streaming services, I, I guess they now their bottom line is subscriptions. But the goal for every TV, every network was to showcase a story that is so good, so compelling that people would watch. And that's where they got their ad revenue. Yeah. And it, it's interesting to me to see that that is now in the hands of the people like podcasting or like YouTube and everything like that, because I've been generating you know, my own avenue, because obviously people like to listen and, and it is spread so thin, but, but at the same time, I mean, it put it back to the people and, and whether you've got a Netflix show or a podcast you do in your mother's basement, like, you know, everything is about ads, but in order to get those ads, you have to, you know, have something that people want to hear. And, yeah, you know, sure. lucky for us, more people want to hear us. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's, uh, I know people, I know a lot of comics who are building careers off of having a podcast with a following. And you don't even, God, if you had five weekly listeners in every market across America, that's enough to get bar shows. That's, a, that's, enough, that's enough to put together a tour to get weekly yeah. It was interesting to me to see how like um, a lot of standups viewed podcasting, certainly in the beginning when I, you know, was doing Mrs. Brightside or other options where it's like, you know, I get like, uh, not to brag, but I was just like, okay, we're getting like thousands of downloads here and you're like, you know, more interested in doing a bar show with like six people that aren't even there to see that. Like, like the numbers don't add up. And, and that was one of the things that I think, that the pandemic may have given people uh, an opportunity to realize it's like, you know, as much as we love the intimate setting of the comedy club or the bar show or things like that to a degree and the feed off the audience, doing things like online has a, has a bigger audience that, that might not even like reach where you are in, in any capacity. I mean, I know when I was doing like the, the soap opera comic con, I mean, we had people viewing from like Germany and a lot of the podcasts I've done or like, like video stuff on, on YouTube. And, and you're realizing like, no, there's fans in Canada. There's fans in Germany. There's fans in Australia. Like you can get to so many more people that way. And, you know, maybe people are finally now on the bandwagon a little bit more that we've got to learn how to just work with the new media adapt. And it, yeah. that's something that I'm even looking into. It's like doing more hybrids because it's great to have that intimate comedy audience, but you live stream that shit too. More ads, yeah. more, more viewers. I mean, the world really is your oyster. Now you just got to learn um, what, what works for you and what works for your audience because it's all, it's different. I mean, everybody sort of has their niche, hopefully. Yeah, and I, it goes back to the original, one of like the original premises of uh, what we were talking about, the original discussions, like to have other skills, whether it be podcasting or acting. Because if you go to any of the, you go to any of the clubs in LA or anywhere in LA or New York on a uh, on any given night, all those headliners, all the A-listers who draw people. They aren't known specifically for stand-up comedy. They like some are radio DJs, others are actors who like uh, had a couple of roles that just like change things for them. Like, it, yeah, like I mean, it, it, it's a Renaissance man day these days, and you've got to be able to do you know the jack of all trades, Jane of all trades, whatever you want to call it. You got to be able to do more than one thing now, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like it, it just opens up more parts of your brain. Yeah, like like the, like the days of get of uh, booking the Tonight Show and expecting to make to to book tours off of that. Yeah, th those are long gone. Like the, the game has changed. 
Yeah, and you know, for better or for worse, the game has changed. I feel like that's a good nugget to go out on. Um, but the if they want to keep changed. up, the, <laughs> they want to keep up the conversation with you, Ian. Where can they find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ian Russo or Ian La Ian Ira Russo. That's at I A N I R A. R-O-U-S-S-O, and I'm also at ianirarusso.com. And since I'm Lucretia Lyon, guys, you can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. Catch me outside. How about that? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.